good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It is Thursday, February 21st, 2008. 2008 is the year to celebrate who you are in the fullest, highest expression. The time is now to offer the world the gift of who you are. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. I am a metaphysician, clairvoyant, and clairaudient intuitive, writer, public speaker, leader, and spiritual teacher. I am honored to have on the show tonight world-renowned spiritual teacher, healer, author, and clairvoyant, Michael Tamura. Thank you for joining us tonight, Michael. Dulcinea, it's great to be here tonight on your show, and we can all wake up together. Great, great. So let me share a little bit of background information on Michael. Michael Tamura awakens souls with compassion, humor, and wisdom. He heals thousands of people from around the world and helps guide them to their true destiny and life purpose. Michael believes that no matter the circumstance, everyone can find happiness and spiritual fulfillment if they just know how. Today, Michael is revered around the world as a master teacher, life coach, visionary, healer, clairvoyant, and pioneer of spiritual healing and psychic development. Michael is regularly asked to make media appearances, endearing radio and television audiences with his laughter, compassion, and insight. He has been featured on CNN, NBC's The Lisa Show, Bridging Heaven and Earth, The Aware Show, Hay House Radio, and as a guest expert in the film, The Indigo Evolution. Michael was also included in the ABC News, The Century, America's Time with Peter Jennings, and currently he is starring in the documentary feature, Who Are You?, and writing two new books, which we'll talk about here shortly. So his award-winning book, You Are the Answer, is highly celebrated, and tonight we'll be talking with Michael about the revolutionary tools, exercises, and concepts offered in this fantastic expression. So, Michael, tell me the evolution of this prized book. Well, it's um, nine years. It was nine years in the making, and um, (laughs) I'm a slow writer. (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, once I finished writing the book, uh, my final editor said, now the hard part starts. (laughs) And I think every published writer uh, can relate to that because, you know, when you're writing it, you think that's, that's a very uh, big challenge. But once you finish, the real challenge starts and we had to publish it. And so, uh, Raphael, my wife and I started a company called Star of Peace Publishing and we published the book ourselves instead of waiting around for some publisher to pick it up because we were aware that once the book got out there and it started to, you know, get around, then a publisher would come to us and say, hey, we want to publish the book under our banner. And Very exactly, wise. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We uh, uh, distributed on our own for about five years. And then last year, uh, Llewellyn, the the biggest uh, metaphysical publishing company, uh, called us up and said, we'd like to publish your book. Uh, and so, so we made the agreement and it came out, they released their version of it uh, December of this past year, and uh, apparently it's doing quite well. Now it's in Barnes and Nobles and Borders and all of the major bookstores as well as the um, uh, independent ones. And the idea of it came, um, what was it, um, 10, 12 years ago, uh, Raphael and I were able to just get away for the first time for <laughs> about a week and a half, and we headed out to New Mexico. We wanted to see Santa Fe and Taos and places like that, and and we just took a little vacation and uh, uh, just ended up there in the snow uh, in our Geo Metro rent a car, and and immediately Raphael got sick. She got a cold, and and so she was going to rest. And I thought, okay, what? 
shall I do? And I just sat there and I meditated for a while, and all of a sudden I'm getting, okay, you have to, uh, uh, you have to write this book. And um, uh, what happened as I started to write that book uh, is all kinds of experiences, all kinds of things started to happen. And I never wrote a book before that, and I didn't realize that writing a book itself is is a major um, process of spiritual growth. It uncovers when you're sitting there in front of a blank page or a, a blank computer screen. It's just you and yourself. <laughs> there's there's no one else you know you're talking to, and it's not bouncing off of things and people and interacting and having various distractions. It's all the stuff that's inside, and it all starts to surface. And every time I ask a question, every time I go, okay, uh, what do I need to write about? Then anything that's any resistance, any any limitations start to surface. And as they start to surface, you have to deal with it. So I think that's part of the time of it takes to, to write the book was going through my whole history, my whole life in detail. And, and of course, I don't write all of that, but, but I had to go through it uh, in order to distill the wisdom I gained through my experiences in some areas where I haven't resolved, I haven't uh, transformed the experiences into wisdom yet, uh, where I haven't forgiven myself or, or let go of something, I'm still holding on to a, a old hurt or pain or whatever, all that has to come out. And so I went through uh, several incarnations of the manuscript. The first one was 495 pages, and the first publisher that looked at it, the editor, said, um, you have three books in there, you better decide what you really want to write about. And so I scrapped that and started brand new. And the next one was about uh, um, 300 pages or something. And and the editor I had at that time said, well, there's at least two books in here. You better decide what you really want to write. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the third uh, main attempt, uh, I, I settled down to this per, uh to my purpose of writing about uh, discovering and fulfilling your soul purpose. And once I got that focus, then everything kind of came together and and I was able to finish the book. Very, very profound. I mean, there's so much wisdom and I love the, the personal touch that you add through all the exercises and information of your stories, of your personal experience that really created this this gift, this manuscript, and and it just you, it really shows the evolution of your soul and, and the process. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all a process, and and the stories I feel are so important because I'm not you know I hadn't been an avid book reader my entire life. I in fact I kind of avoided <laughs> I avoided reading, and a lot of times I was too busy to read, and so. For me to get interested in a book uh, to read, it had to be engaging. It had to have stories. And and I never really liked books that were very scholarly and and it was people doing research from other people's research from other people's research and, and saying it over again. Um, it kind of was flat to me. It, I didn't I didn't really get it. And so what I decided was in my whole life, everything I've learned is, is through experience. Uh, I've had teachers and, and all that throughout, the, throughout my life, but, but it didn't mean anything when somebody said, well, here's the information, here's what it is, uh, here's the tool. Until I practiced it, until I made it my own, until I was able to experience it. And once I experienced it, that's a whole different ballgame than intellectually understanding something. And so that's why I, I prefer weaving the stories and, and giving examples of, of, hey, this is what I went through, or this is what I saw someone else go through. Then we can relate to it much better. 
Yes, yes. It's like, okay, we, we're inspired that if somebody else faced this challenge and they found the tools and resources to overcome it, then I can too. Yes. Yes, and, you know, you do a wonderful job of offering the tools throughout, and I really appreciated the appendix. You have some exercises, and you call it your spiritual toolkit, and I just really appreciated that. That's what I often tell my clients is we're just trying to make your toolkit as rich as possible so when something arises, you know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah, I've always pictured myself with a little, you know, like the red uh, toolkit that um, carpenters and mechanics kind of carry around, and, and yes. uh, I always saw that, or or one of those tool belts, and we need that in our spiritual growth process. Uh, if we don't have our tools accessible, uh, you know, I, I know that when I put away um, mechanical tools in some neat storage somewhere in the garage, I never use it. When I need it, I need it here, and, and if I can't reach over and grab the screwdriver to tighten up that screw, I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to, in spiritual growth, is even way more challenging than anything we can do on a physical level. And so if we put away our tools nice and neat in some storage, we're not going to be able to use it. But if we have it really handy and we carry it around with us, then at a moment's notice, we pull out the screwdriver and the power saw or whatever we need and or grounding cord, and uh, <laughs> uh, we're able to use it. Yes, and grounding cords, we know how important they are. I think it's probably the first tool that I was taught at Mesquapion um, in Marin County, uh-huh. and I think it, to this day it's the most important tool that I continue to utilize and offer to my clients to learn and experience. It just it centers me. Yes, it's it's a very basic, important tool. It's one of the very first things that I teach also. And it's, it's great. You see it, especially, say, when you teach a child. And uh, it doesn't have to be this big, uh, heavy-duty thing. With a child, we teach them uh, to, to imagine a little tree trunk, a big tree trunk, and, and have it from the base of one spine all the way connecting to the center of the earth. And, and it's a fun game. And everything that a child does is, is like a game, isn't it? You know, they, they have fun. And, and if you don't make it fun, then they're not going to do it. And this is the way we are as adults as well, is why should we do something that's not uh, functional, that's not practical, that's not easy and fun? And if it is, if we make it so, then we can use it. With grounding, it's so important because, you know, every school teacher uh, calls in sick (laughs) the day after (laughs) Halloween night because the kids are so sugared up and hyped up and and they're bouncing off the walls because they're completely out of their bodies. As souls, the body is so, you know, charged up and then it crashes that the being (laughs) has a hard time getting in. But if you... teach them how to ground all of a sudden like you said they settle down and and they get centered and they're able to go oh i'm here it's an amazing thing yes and you know i had a personal experience of that while i was in my clairvoyant training program i was also a teacher in the school system (laughs) and so i would learn i was grounding them and the ones who were predictably acting up and then this inspired me to make a connection with oh the indigo children Mm, so i started teaching the parents tools and, and, and it was just so validating for me and and for the children of course yeah so yeah. grounding is essential, and I think that's one of the most important things that you present in, in that appendix is just please remember to ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were a teacher before. Yes, I, were, I was oh. a teacher. Yes, yeah, yes. It's amazing what we learn from kids, you know. It's, it's like Jesus said, uh, come as a little child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and that is, is something I have practiced for a long time, for many, many years, 
And uh, some people say, gee, he's like a little, a big kid. (laughs) (laughs) Because what do children do? They they wake up in the morning and they don't need a reason or an obligation or, or a commitment or responsibility to wake up to because they have to go to an important interview or they have to go get a job or do something. They wake up because they're awake. They They wake up because they're alive. Life is there to be lived. And they don't need any other reasons. And just like, too, uh, by the time a person's an adult, a lot of times uh, we have to have a reason to laugh. You know, well, that wasn't funny, and so we don't laugh. And and especially if someone gives us a reason not to laugh. You know, sometimes a, uh, a father might say, I'm going to wipe that smirk off of your face right now <laughs> because they're upset at what you did. And And so we learn over the years to stop laughing. And yet... Laughter isn't something that we need an excuse for. We, de- we need some scholarly reason to laugh. We can laugh because laughter is a choice. And that's a very important, another very important tool in the spiritual toolkit, so to speak, that we all need to carry around is at a moment's notice, can we laugh? And especially, can we laugh when there's no reason to laugh? And if we can start to laugh where there's no reason to laugh, then we might be able to start to laugh, to choose to laugh, to choose to be an amusement, to see the humor and smile and be happy with ourselves when there's reasons that we shouldn't laugh, that, that it's a horrible, horrible situation. There's a lot of pain. And, and, but what we do to ourselves is because we feel certain things because we see th- certain things. We deprive ourselves of our divine heritage. We de- deprive ourselves of being able to to have the abundance, the joy, the the limitless power, the creativity, everything that is given to us. It's it's already there. And and because something doesn't go our way, we shut the door. And every time we slam the door, we slam it not in somebody else's face, even though we might be angry at somebody, blaming at somebody, or, or the government, or something, or even God. And And when we slam that door, even if we think we're slamming it in somebody else's face, we're really closing it off from ourselves. And as long as we keep that door shut, we don't get to access that allness, that wholeness, that totality, that divinity that's within us and within everything, we don't get to access it. And then we mope around and we, we get unhappy with ourselves even more and, and stop laughing. But the amazing thing is when we start to laugh just because, just like a kid wakes up laughing sometimes. And, and when, we, when we allow ourselves to have that, then... Amazing things happen. When we're laughing, we're not thinking. When we're laughing, we're not trying to figure out uh, what should we do, uh, how am I going to you know, deal with the situation. When we're laughing, none of that enters our mind because our mind goes blank. It's empty. It's receptive. And in that, the light comes in. In that, we get inspired and we start to have our visions. We start to have our knowingness, our intuition, our clairvoyance. We start to see the truth for what it really is. And and then, of course, naturally out of our being, we start to do things. And what we do when we're connected to our beingness what we do is a natural outflow of that beingness, the natural outflow of our truth. And in that, how can we go wrong? How can we mistreat one another? How can we be mean and nasty and cruel to each other when it's just flowing out of the grace that is our beingness? And it's a natural unfolding process. And the whole thing about fulfilling one's soul purpose is that unfolding process that naturally flows out from our being. In the world, and especially in our culture here in America, um, it so much is about accomplishment, so much is about doing. What are we going to do? And so 
unaware, people often divide up, they separate their doing from their being. They separate, they start to think, oh, I have to do this and this and this and this, and I have to do it right, and I have to do it well, and I have to do this much of it by tomorrow. And so we're putting all of our doing out there, separate from what's in here. And 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 then we wonder why the, all the doing, no matter how much we accomplish, so many times I have met people, and, and in myself even, in many times, where, gee, here's all these so-called great accomplishments where many, many people say, gee, you've done a great job. This is an amazing accomplishment, and so forth. I wish I could do that. And And yet, there are times where, if those accomplishments, if the doing was separate from myself, there's not that fulfillment, or the fulfillment is short-lived. But the times when I have relaxed, when I observe other people who are very relaxed, they're not trying to do something. And so when they become relaxed, any one of us, when we become relaxed, ah, we start to settle into who we are. We settle into our beingness. And as we are, we find that we become naturally so much more giving. We're sitting very relaxed and you know, happy with ourselves. And somebody jumps in and starts to say something, and instead of being offended or, or, or uh, uh, disturbed, you go, oh, welcome, come in, sit down, or can I open the door for you? Can I offer you something? It naturally comes out of us. And this is the process of fulfilling our soul purpose is very much like that where when we start to find our space, give ourselves the space to be, be that spirit, that beingness that we are, then our purpose starts to unfold on its own. It starts to come out. And we find that we start to relate. We start to respond to everything that happens and everyone we meet in life. We start to respond from who we are instead of saying the right things, doing the correct things, and so forth, and being in competition with one another. This is part of the evolution of of the book you are the answer is is i started to uh examine all the parts of my life and how did i end up here it is absolutely a phenomenal phenomenal process and i can relate to so much of what you've just said and i think the first step for my own evolution as well and for from what I gathered in the book was your evolution is really finding who you are and learning that discernment of who am I and who are the other people that are in my energetic space that affect the way that I choose to live my life consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, sometimes when people think of spiritual practices and disciplines and, and spiritual growth, they might think of, Everything from going to church to prayer to meditation to uh, ashrams to you know a, a reclusive type of a hermitage monastery living kind of a situation and though yes that's an important aspect of one's process as a soul over the course of lifetimes we all tend to go through some of those phases to learn certain things but at this point in our evolution. In general, what's very important is it's hard to get away from this world. The world is getting closer and closer. You can be up in the mountains. Even uh, I have had a couple of friends who climb Mount Everest, and, and they go, they climb up there, and there's there's signs of industrialization and civilization even way up there. Uh, and and I've been to many third world countries where people are living in huts and with with satellite dishes coming out of the top. <laughs> and where, where people are begging for money for food or, or some food, and yet they have TVs. Where, you know, priorities are changed, where you have to have a TV before you have enough food. And, and it's an amazing thing. And as, 
as uh, the world is getting closer and closer, you really can't get away. You can be hiding out in the cave, but some <laughs> some uh, official will come and, and find you and say, oh, this is illegal. You don't have a permit to be here. And yes. and so where do we go for our spiritual growth? And and we have to retreat inward. And, and in our relationships with people, a lot of times when a person starts to move in that spiritual level, they might find that as they become more aware and sensitive, and especially, like you said, sensitive to other people's energies and thoughts and feelings, it's hard to be around people. And and you want to, you can't think, you know, when you're around a bunch of people and you get burnt out going Christmas shopping at the mall during Christmas time because there's so many people and so much energy and, and you, you go there thinking you're going to have fun and then you end up going, gee, I got a headache and, and I <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Go home and crawl into bed for 10 hours. And and uh, so what is that? Well, the more aware we become, the more sensitive we become. But with that, we have to learn to manage that sensitivity and that awareness because contrary to popular belief where, where people have seen, you know, very psychic, highly intuitive, sensitive people, and they're always seeming to be groaning on the floor. They're, they're, uh, you blow on them and they keel over. And, and so this idea comes up of, gee, these, you're too sensitive. And, and people who are spiritually sensitive are weak and vulnerable and, and they, they can't stand up for themselves. They, they can't function in society. Uh, when the going gets rough, they keel over. Well, that's only partially true, and it's not true because that sensitive, aware people are too sensitive and they they are weak and they they, uh, can't handle things. No, it's because they haven't learned their power. What happens, sensitivity is power. And but it doesn't look like it in the beginning because the person's not aware it's the sensitivity is the power. And how it works is very much like the power uh, of, say, if we walk slowly into a wall, there's not a lot of power behind that walk. And, and so we end up by the wall and we can't go any further and we stop. We, we don't get hurt. But if we run into the wall, it's a lot more power behind us. And, and, and we run into the wall, well, we, we bash into the wall and we get hurt. Well, if we if we got on a motorcycle and went 100 miles an hour into that wall, we'll get smashed. You know, we'll get killed on a physical level because there's so much power and, and we didn't know how to manage it. Our sensitivity is just like that gradations of power. The more sensitive you are, the more like you're riding that motorcycle. And until you learn to drive that motorcycle correctly, if you crash into a wall being that sensitive, you're going to get keeled over. Uh, but if you learn to drive that motorcycle carefully, then you avoid hitting the wall. You you can get places much faster than when you're walking, and that's the same with the awareness and the sensitivity that awareness brings on a psychic level, especially, is uh, when I am very sensitive, that means I have that much more power in my uh, ability, and when I bounce my power up against walls that are up there, the walls of invalidation, walls of pain, walls of uh, ignorance that, that's out there in people, and I bounce it off of them, it's going to bounce back to me even more powerfully than someone who doesn't have that sensitivity. So if I'm not prepared, if I'm not aware that that's what's happening, I get the, the repercussion and if I resist it in any way, if I'm blaming other people, if I'm going, gee, that person did it to me, uh, then that my own power that comes back to me as sensitivity and awareness will, will hit me. And it, I will be hurt. I will be affected in a negative way. But if I'm aware and I'm going, ah, I've become more aware. I've become more sensitive. There's so much more of my power here. I have to give myself a lot more breathing room. I have to give myself a lot more respect. I have to give myself a lot more acceptance and understanding of 
where I'm at, and especially in relationship to others and how I affect them, then I'm going to be like the person who learns to be an expert rider on that motorcycle. I'm not going to go crashing in at 100 miles an hour into everybody else's space. And when I don't do that, it doesn't come bouncing back to me into mine, my awareness and knock me for a loop. I'm able to handle it. And and again, this thing that, you know, we all want intimacy in our lives. We want that close connection with others, especially our loved ones and whatnot. And and yet many people are very frustrated because they don't feel like they they connect. And what that is is we put up so many barriers. We're constantly trying to separate. We're constantly trying to uh, get away from pain. You know, what's the first thing that we instinctively do if we hurt ourselves physically is we go, ooh, ouch, and, and immediately we withdraw from that pain. We want to get away from it as fast as possible. And then we come back when the pain is gone, <laughs> it's settled down, or we take a pain medication, and, and then we come back. But part of spiritual growth is learning that spirit is one. It's undivided. God is undivided. It never changes. There's no beginning. There's no end. There's no time. There's no space. There's no movement. It just is. And so in order to have that, in order to be able to be that, to have that, we can't be divided. This is the whole basis of healing. Even, even the definition, uh, dictionary definition of healing is restoring to wholeness. So what's divided? Well, we're divided. We divide ourselves every time we want to get away from something. Every time we want to get rid of something, we're dividing ourselves. We're taking part of us close in and saying, this is mine. And then the other part, we're pushing away saying, this is something else. And, and as we polarize like that, we start to divide, 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 more and more and more. We're putting more and more barriers up. And then we wonder why we feel so isolated. There's no intimacy. We can't experience that oneness because we're constantly wanting to separate. And we don't think of it, especially people who are spiritual seekers. They go, oh, I'm seeking the oneness of God, the oneness of divinity, the oneness of love. And yet... If we were to really examine ourselves, how many times in a day are we going, get rid of that? I want to get out of here. Uh, let me out of here. Oh, I can't stand that. I, I don't want that. I want to get away from this. Each one of those. Or even more on a somewhat more positive level, we go, I want to be special. I want to be recognized. I want to be the head of the class. I want to be the star of the show. I want, to, I want to be special. And I want to be famous. I want to be rich. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're wanting to separate out of where everybody else is at. I want to stand out. Or I want to hide. I want to hide from where everybody else is at. So no matter whether we kind of go on the positive end or the negative end, on the retreat end or putting it out there end, we're constantly wanting to separate. And as long as we're wanting all this separation and all these barriers, then how can we possibly heal? How can we possibly experience that incredible, limitless, timeless oneness that we hear about uh, amongst scriptures and spiritual teachings throughout the ages. So this is part of what not only in the book, You Are the Answer, You Are the Answer, where the title came from is interesting too. One day I was reading a a book uh, and there was was a a Sufi mystic uh, that said, God makes us out of our prayers. And I go, gee, that's exactly how I've always felt, is, is what I ask for, I become. I'm my own answer. For every question I've ever had, I've 
had to be the answer. And, and, um, uh, and in relationship to one another, we are also answers to one another's prayers. You know, Dasanea, how many people listen to your show and, and they tune in because they have a question. They, they need, they're looking for something and they go, oh, maybe I'll listen to that show. It sounds interesting. And, and you become the answer to their prayers. Or you bring in someone who becomes the answer to the, someone's prayers who's listening. We're doing this all the time. What a healer is and what a teacher is is just an answer, being an answer to someone's prayer. That's why it's always said, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. When a person asks, it's given. And this is the nature of that divinity, that oneness we we call divine or God or the Tao or whatever you want to call it. That which is gives. Just like when we are, when we're relaxed and we can just be, we become giving. Our hearts become flowing with givingness. This comes out of us. It's not contrived. It's not uh, forced. It's, it just naturally flows out. It's so beautiful. And it, it, it takes me back to 2005. And I was in the Redwood Forest in Marin County in Woodacre, a small little town out there by um, yes. Spirit Rock. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was looking up and I saw clairvoyantly um, a beam of light or more of like a tunnel of light going from my seven chakra into the heavens and I saw infinity symbols throughout Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I thought that is so beautiful and they said you're limitless and that was my first experience of that and then Mm -hmm. a few months later I'm at um, Esclapion and I met a friend and we, we went out to coffee and he says you know you are the answer you need to pick up that book and I go, wow, that is what I've been asking for for like 8 or 12 months. And I go, so what's the name of the book? And he's like, you are the answer. <laughs> and it took me just a few minutes to grasp that that, that was the name of the book. <laughs> yeah. Because it hit me r- right in the heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and so appropriate because, because you are very bright and part of your purpose and and. In a sense, you know, we all have the same purpose, which is to fully become ourselves, fully yes. become who we are. But there's the unique part of fulfilling that purpose. We all are different in that, you know, we approach things, we have different experiences. So how we fulfill our purpose is going to be different. And part of that how part for you is you came into this lifetime right from the beginning of this life and you've been preparing for this life and and you having this radio show is just part of the fulfillment of your purpose is to shine your light to share that light and to you've been kind of like a spotlight for other people and part of the difficulty we we're talking about that sensitivity thing you've always been very very sensitive very highly sensitive and aware and what happens is when that extra bright light shines forth if you didn't give yourself a lot of elbow room that light bounces off of other people and it almost works the same way Uh, if you've ever known somebody who had migraine headaches they like to be in a darkened room or have dark glasses on or whatever close their eyes because light literally hurts and and so it would be like you were you were i'm sure like a kid when when uh, who would go, gee, it's such a beautiful sunny day outside. Let's open the curtains. And, and here's a person with a splitting migraine headache in a dark room, and they'll scream bloody murder and hate you. Yes. <laughs> very, and you go, very well. Gee, <laughs> I, I was just trying to share this beautiful, bright day. Why would you like to stay here isolated by yourself in the dark? And And that is what you have been doing all your life and as you've learned to give yourself more space to be that light and to not only be that light but to allow other people to experience it to other people to see it and to go oh i get it then (laughs) the more space you gave yourself the stronger you became you were always strong but when you're extra sensitive that power that's yours 
bounced against you, and then you would get knocked out. But once you gave yourself enough room to be that light, then people can see, use your light, so to speak. You become like a spotlight. Uh, in a dark room, there's a whole bunch of people, and, and only one person has to turn on their lamp. Then everyone in the room can see everything in that room. You don't need everybody turning on their light at first. It's just one person turns on their light, and everybody who's in that same dark room can start to see. And then they start to recognize, oh, I, too, have a lamp right here next to me. Okay, let's turn my lamp on. Now there's two people in the room, and the room's even brighter. And then the third and fourth and everybody else starts to recognize, oh, now I can see, oh, I have a lamp all along, too. I'll turn my lamp on. And the whole room is lit. And that's That permission been, space. Yes, that's been part of your... Your work is is being the first light on the uh, in the dark tunnel, and <laughs> that everybody else can start to go. Oh, yeah! And that's part of what you're doing with the radio show. How honorable! Thank you. It's a, such an honor. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's isn't so, it? It's so validating too. <laughs> it's it's great when when you know a lot of times people go, "Gee, you're the teacher, and 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 I'm the student, and I'm honored to meet you, and all of that," but it's really, I feel, more the opposite. It's, it's an honor. It's, it's a, an amazing and wonderful thing when someone is ready. When someone says, I'd like to learn. I'd like to wake up. I'd like to see more. I'd like to know. I'd like to experience something I've never experienced before. Then that is like candy to a teacher. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> when you have that motivated client who wants to express themselves at a higher vibration, it's just it's so empowering to hand them the tools that allows them to realize they're their own best master and teacher That's and right. healer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very yeah. wonderful. And we see that in the world, you know, uh, uh, it's just starting to happen where we're most everybody used to be, oh, you get hurt or you get sick, you go see a doctor, and the doctor's going to cure me. And then if, and after people got more sophisticated and, and there's more lawyers and more insurance companies and everything, and you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't cure you, and you go, well, then I'll sue the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, it's it's starting to slowly change where people are going, wait a minute, the doctor's not the one who's going to cure me. But I can go to the doctor. The doctor's one who's been trained, has experience and expertise in certain ways that the body works and, and certain things, how illness works and, and certain tools and, and, and treatments that can help uh, me kind of find my way. And, and it's a whole different game then. And this is the way with, with spiritual growth. Sometimes a person who used to go to doctors that way, expecting that doctor to cure them and getting disgruntled when the doctor didn't, may end up starting to become a spiritual seeker and they go to spiritual teachers and the spiritual teacher is going to cure them. The, t the spiritual teacher is going to enlighten them. And they might get really disappointed or disgruntled when that doesn't happen because no one can enlighten you. No one can do it for you. The only thing that a teacher does, the only thing that a healer does, is be the light. Be, kind of show the way and saying, here, I've been there, done that. You can too. And, and this is what I did. And it may work for you, it may not, because we're all different in our orientation. This is why there has to be so many different kinds of teachings and so many different kinds of teachers. You know, some people do really well with with the real strict um, uh, boot camp sergeants <laughs> and, and who just won't give you an inch. You know, you do it, you put your nose to the grindstone, and, and some, some of us need that at certain points in our growth or else we'll never do it. And then, but others hey, you can't even pass the first step in, in, with a teacher like that. And, and another person might do really well with someone who just 
sits there and smiles at you and and shows you a little bit of kindness and you go, oh, you know, I think I can do this myself. Many things happen. This is the thing we're going to see throughout the world. All these religions, all these different practices, all these different schools that have sprouted up around and have for the longest time been battling each other or at the least, you know, staying on their side of the fence and not really communicating, well, they're going to find out all of this is important. Every religion has certain truths they've been sitting on and they have some of the ways in which to experience it. But so much of it got muddled up with those who at some given point in the history of that religion wanting to use their position of authority to get other people, you know, enforce it. And sometimes not really out of uh, malintent or malice. It was like a person, like a parent oftentimes might love their child, but they don't know how to set them free. Uh, They don't know how to love them to the next level where they go, okay, I love you enough to let you go through this experience and and not be afraid for you and stop you. And so, so at a certain point of our love, say as a parent, we might forbid our child to do this and go there and experience this because we're afraid for them. We're afraid that we love them so much, but we haven't release them. We, ha- we, we can't quite let them be. We want to control because we don't trust that this child could do those things or can survive. And definitely, you know, many children would have never survived if their parent didn't program them, don't cross the street without me or without an adult helping you cross the street until you're able to do it yourself. And yet, there's a point where, okay, that child's proven that he or she can cross the street by themselves. If we continue to try to control them at that level, then we become an obstacle in their growth. But a lot of times as parents, we get so involved in it that that we can't easily let go, even if the child is now 40 years old. (laughs) we still, you know, treat them like they're a baby and 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 then wonder why they get angry at us and things of that nature. Yes. And this is the same with with all the different techniques, all the different practices. The reason they're around is it's working for someone at some stage of their development. But it's not meant for everybody all the time. And and there's there's times in our spiritual growth that that we rely, we have to rely on certain techniques and certain tools, and and we become very proficient at it. But then there's other times when you when you really use it to the fullest, you will come to a place where you go, wait a minute, this tool at, at this point isn't working for me anymore. It's not that the tool is now corrupt and is no good. No, at certain stages, we have to let go of everything. And and there comes a time in every spiritual aspirant's uh, journey where you think you got it and and yes. you think you know what to do. And, gee, I've been able to heal every other condition before, and I've been able, able to he- heal this co- condition in other people. Why, can't, why isn't that working for me? And, and certain things, you throw everything you know at it, and it doesn't work. Well, why does that happen? It happens to people, and and sometimes it happens to tremendous, you know, great healers or great teachers, and other people look and go, oh my God, that person we thought was really great, but even he or she can't, is stumped. Well, we all get to this point where seemingly it should be easy to, you know, get rid of, easy to heal, easy to fix, or whatever, but nothing we do seems to work. And that's because it's a reminder. That's a particular type of a wake-up call that's reminding who's boss, so to speak. <laughs> it's, oh, you thought you were really good. You thought you knew it all. And, and always, always when we get hung up on that, when we get stuck on some 
capability, some ability, some technique, some something, and we forget. We forget truly who's behind it all, what's behind it all. And we forget the, our true heritage. And when we do, we have put invested so much of our trust our faith, our certainty in a certain ability or in a certain technique or in a certain practice that we made that more important. We made that, we ended up making that senior. We became codependent on this really great tool. We became codependent on this really great teaching. And when that happens, it doesn't work anymore. And we have to put it back into perspective and go, ah, I need to let go of investing my trust in this external tool, in this external piece of information. I need to reinvest the trust in my own inner being, in that which we can call God, in that which we can call divinity, the holy, whatever you want to call it. But that from which all things arise, and when we forget that, there's always a little tap that says, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> you can work as hard as you want, but you're not getting anywhere. Yes. Yes. So we are talking with Michael Tamora this evening, and we are discussing his book, You Are the Answer, Discovering and Fulfilling Your Soul's Purpose. You can find Michael on the web at www.michaeltamora.com. I'd like to let them know about some upcoming media appearances you have. Sure. On Monday, February 25th, he will be on the Internet on another radio program from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific time, and you'll be speaking about empowered living life, the truth, and being free. And that will take place at www.abettertoday.com. And then tell us what you have going on this year, Michael. I know there are some teleseminars coming up regarding yes. seeing with the eye of spirit. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I, I started a series uh, called Seeing with the Eye of Spirit, um, which were in-person events, seminars, intensives, weekend intensives uh, a couple of years ago uh, up here in Mount Shasta. And, and uh, out of that evolved this idea for a teleseminar series uh, by the same name, and it will be uh, about seeing not only seeing clairvoyantly, but what that really means. Uh, my favorite definition of clairvoyance and my favorite instruction of clairvoyance is in one statement that Jesus made during the Sermon on the Mount. And that was the one where he said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Well, if God is everything, and if one sees God, and that means one sees everything, one sees all, wouldn't that be a good definition of a perfect clairvoyant? <laughs> one who sees all. And we're all working toward that. And, and then the instruction part of it is what he said, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So if we learn to purify our heart, we will see all. And to this date, that's something that I have experienced over and over and over again in myself and others that I've taught where each time we're able to relinquish something that invalidates, something that divides and corrupts out of our heart, the judgments, criticisms, uh, hatred and, and withholding, unforgiving. When we let go of them, we become able to see. We get able to see the truth more. So so in this, uh, what we call EOS for short, but the Eye of Spirit uh, teleseminars, uh, each session will be going into a particular aspect of what it is to really see and, and to be able to use one's ability to see uh, in the inner levels, see spiritually, uh, see with the whole eye, the one eye of spirit, and how to apply it in one's daily life and their spiritual growth process. So that's I'm very excited about that. That's a new thing on the teleseminars. And then, of course, we have a whole year of 
uh, weekend seminars and intensives and retreats, uh, both here in Mount Shasta as well as all over California and other states. And all of that uh, one can find on our website at uh, www.michaeltamura.com. There's a whole event section, and and it's up to date. So uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Yes, and I, I'm really excited about the tele-seminars because a lot of my clients, you know, they love, they're fascinated with the way that I read and they love the training that I've in, embraced at Berkeley Psychic Institute and their affiliates and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so they say, you know, do you offer classes? And it's like, no, I'm sorry, I don't. So then I try to send them, you know, where, to their closest one here in Southern California and, you know, they're spread throughout, the affiliates are. And so they go, you know, well, do you know somebody who does phone work? phone seminars. And I'm like, you know, I don't quite yet, but I'll keep my ears open. And so here it is. So <laughs> earlier today, I emailed all these clients who've been asking me and I was like, oh, yes, it starts March 26, 6 p.m. Be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'll, I'll be doing all my uh, cal- psychic calisthenics to get in shape for that. <laughs> good, good. So it's just really exciting. So that that, that should be fun. And, and um, there are a lot of seminars in person throughout the, you know, the Northern Bay area in California, Corte Madera, L.A., Nevada, as you said, Mount Shasta. So go ahead and check out the website if you want to connect with Michael in any other way. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on tonight, sharing your wisdom, sharing your book, You Are the Answer, revealing your soul's experience, and then sharing the tools that allowed you to maneuver through that process as an observer. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having not only having me on the show, but having this radio show. I think it's it's lighting the way for many, many people. Well, thank you, Michael, so much. I look forward to connecting with you again. Keep us up to date about what you're doing and where you're going. We'd love to be a part of it. Great. <laughs> and thank we support you, very much. you wholeheartedly. Okay, thank you. Have a wonderful evening. <laughs> you too. All right. Tonight, I'd like to celebrate who you are today and tonight. Love yourself. Begin to plant your creative seeds each day, one at a time. Water and nurture the seeds and yourself daily and watch your crop flourish into your grandest desires and dreams. Former Mike, former guest Michael Brown will be in Tucson, Arizona for a two-day workshop on February 29th and March 1st about his fundamental book, The Presence Process, in sync with his upcoming release, The Alchemy of the Heart, a powerful opportunity to connect with your emotional body and the heart chakra as well as experience the enlightening magic of Michael Brown. Please contact Rebecca at 520-818-9648 for registration information. Please join me next week, February 28th, for honored guest and angel expert Charles Virtue, the eldest son of Dr. Doreen Virtue. We will talk about Charles' upcoming angel certification program that he will offer in Sedona, Arizona this March 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Sedona Creative Life Center, as well as discuss his upcoming book and CD releases and workshops for 2008. Please explore Charles on the web for further information at www.charlesvirtue.com or at www.angeltherapy.com. I, too, am excited about March guests on Evolution Revolution. We have Dr. Barbara Condren with her book, Dreamer's Dictionary, and we also have Dr. Susan Carroll with her wonderful book on unification, Becoming One People and Planet. We will also have some exciting guests coming on in April, Taylor Wilshire and again, Dr. Barbara Condren, but we'll be back, she'll be back to discuss Indigo Children, one of my personally favorite topics. Please explore the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors that can be found on the Evolution Revolution homepage. The shows are available 24 hours a day at no charge to just listen at the moment or upload as a podcast for later. The archives include amazing talent such as Marla Martinson as she offers her magical matchmaking skills to everyone explaining the law of attraction and its benefits in her uplifting book release, Excuse Me, Your Soulmate is Waiting, Michael Brown as he leads one from their mental body into their emotional body via the heart with his consciousness and process in his book, The Presence Process. Richard Blackstone, author and international speaker on life, love, and the true nature of how things work in his wonderful book, Nuts and Bolts Spirituality, Waking Up the Sleepwalkers. Also, David Robert Ord in his phenomenal consciousness in in his book, Your Forgotten Self, Mirrored in Jesus the Christ. 
We have Megan Skinner with her book, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Sextrology, Dr. Lisa Love and her wisdom about living in love through conscious manifestation in her book, Beyond the Secret, Spiritual Power and the Law of Attraction, Jennifer Weigel with her humorous approach to life's challenges and opportunities in Stay Tuned, Betty Young's latest book release, The House That Love Built, Taylor Wilshire and her fun novel, The What If Guy, and Paula Marie Jackson with Love and Light. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening and fun experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, counselor, healer who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. If you're interested, please contact me at lightforall at gmail.com to schedule an appointment, or you can find my bio and contact information on Evolution Revolution's homepage. A divine and spiritually experience awaits you. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with Dulcinea and my honored guest, Michael Tamora. Please visit him again on the web at www.michaeltamora.com and pick up a copy of his essential spiritual tool, You Are the Answer, Discovering and Filling Your Soul's Purpose. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution. Please join me next week with Charles Virtue. I wish you all abundant peace, love, joy, prosperity, miracles, and light. Angel blessings. Good night. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. No matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. 